Today on The Topping Show, both sides are now boycotting Bud Light, Elon Musk reveals the government is spying on U.S. citizens, Apple is launching a savings account, Jewel and Minnesota reach a settlement, David's Bridal files for bankruptcy, Sega to buy Angry Birds' parent company, Democrats outfund Republicans by $12 million, and Netflix has a streaming live stream crash. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, and actually before that, I really want to thank today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-add resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're an IT leader or business owner, use those assistance. You can reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Heck, I see their owner at least twice a day. I have to say, he is quite handsome and brilliant. The owner is me. That's the joke. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, we have Sega. They announced that they're going to buy the parent company behind Angry Birds for about $1 billion, which is quite astronomical. For the folks who don't remember, Sega was one of the companies that famously lost the video game wars or the console console wars, so to say. They used to be neck and neck with Nintendo back in the day. You had the Sega, perhaps the pinnacle. They would just have better sporting titles, in some cases better graphics. They had the 16-bit console before Nintendo had their 16-bit console, I believe. Correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. But they were one of the best console manufacturers, video game production manufacturers ever. And unfortunately, they just couldn't keep up. They came up with the Dreamcast, which is the last physical hardware console that they came out with. But a lot of people don't realize they don't just hold intellectual property. They're still a video game manufacturer, publisher, and developer. But they just don't put it on... They don't have a system anymore. So if you go to arcades, you'll still see some of their systems there. And they actually publish their titles, ironically enough, for the video game systems they used to compete with. So they are still very much alive and well. And they announced that they were going to purchase the company known as Robio, R-O-B-I-O. Now, that is the parent company behind Angry Birds, which is one of the greatest examples of Freakonomics, where it's a brilliant book where it talks about business phenomenons, where... You have a trend or you have a manufacturer coming out with a product and just exponentially for some reason it just becomes seemingly popular overnight and everyone is addicted to that little game now robio actually launched angry birds back in 2009 as a big hit they even had movies made about that products and countless dollars were manufactured or generated from licensing agreements where you have angry birds backpacks kids toys pencils you name it they slap that intellectual property on that and of course doing that the parent company gets a cut of that that's the nice thing about licensing you get paid to just rent out the brand now robio the parent behind the manufacturer of angry birds they went public back in 2017 however they have not had a hit since angry birds and a lot of companies make this mistake where they have a one-hit wonder or they manufacture a product and it is just phenomenally profitable popular and they think that growth trend is going to go on forever and they think they can do it again very often it's much more easier said than done of course but because they haven't had a I'm trying to say a hit or an addictive product since then they just have been kind of petering along so that's why relative to their, to their overall value Sega might be getting a nice discount on the company as they hopefully develop a new brand. Right now, Sega is primarily known for Sonic the Hedgehog 
as their long-term brand ambassador or long-term brand intellectual property. And they're trying to get more diverse, so this will give them a little bit more to their arsenal. But they really need to come out with a big hit that will knock it out of the park. Now, going on to the other interesting business news, David's Bridal is filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And for those new to business or just a little bit confused about which types of bankruptcies there are, it's one of the most common ones where they restructure the company. It's also known as a reorganization form of bankruptcy, which may, means you remain in control of the assets and you're not required to liquidate, so it doesn't completely go away. And a good example of a company that completely went away was Pier 1 Imports. Now, the brand is still around, but that's because a third party, a gentleman went to the company when they liquidated all assets, one of the assets was the intellectual property, the logo, the brand, and some of their designs of the actual products. So a gentleman came in and he bought that intellectual property. But the actual company is no longer there in their actual headquarters. They abandoned that and the new iconic building is now actually being facilitated by or occupied by the city of Fort Worth, where it's famously headquartered down the street from Radio Shack, another iconic company. And if I zoomed out, that's actually the sign over my right shoulder is the old Radio Shack sign. Nevertheless, now, Davis Bridal, it's not too surprising they filed for bankruptcy. They're the one of the, if not the largest chain retailers for the wedding industry. And they claim to sell one in every three gowns in the United States, which is a unprecedented amount of market share. If you could have 33.33% of the market, well, 0.333 forever for one third. If you could have all of that, so you're selling one in three dresses. That's a great amount of sales volume. And however, they just couldn't, they've gone bankrupt a couple times. Now, unfortunately that means they're gonna have to lay off about 9,236 employees nationwide. That translates to about 84% of US staff. And they are really, really hoping for someone to sweep in and buy them out. So the restructuring, but even with the restructuring, they're in a precarious situation where they're not having enough cash flow and influx of sales. Now, they actually did went bankrupt again a couple years ago, and they also took out a big loan of $70 million in 2021 because they thought, again, it's hard to read the market and hindsight's always 2020, but their leadership thought that after the pandemic and the COVID-19 lockdowns, they were projecting to have an ever exponential increase and actual weddings, which for them, of course, is how they make money. They sell wedding dresses or gowns, whatever term you want to use, but they facilitate that market, that event. However, that might not be the best industry to be in. I know one of the sharks from the Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary, famously likes to invest in companies that play on the emotions of the consumers, which he says the most times that people do not care about money because they're overwhelmingly emotional is when people die people are born and people are married. So births, funerals, so births, funerals, weddings. That's when Kevin O'Leary says that's some of the three times when people are particularly emotionally vulnerable. They tend to overspend because of that emotion and emotional investment in that particular life-changing event. But if you look at the overall trend of US marriage rates, especially since they've changed many of the laws around alimony and all the whole industry of marriage, is decreasing year over year. Again, another thing that is gonna make it tough for this business to really come back and somehow expand when every year the number of customers you can reach is less and less and less because the industry is just going lower and lower and lower, especially in the United States. A lot of people blame no-fault divorce and there are many, 
there are many specifics and many reasons as well, as well as cultural and legal why that trend is continuing to go down. And it's unfortunate because a lot of good people are getting laid off and I'm hoping perhaps there's a cultural revolution in the United States or people increase the marriage rates because I think that's great for a myriad of reasons, both societal, economical, and in this case, maybe they'll be able to hire some employees back that they laid off. But realistically, I think if someone buys intellectual property or if someone does a cash infusion to buy the company and then have them operate independently, it's probably going to be some type of clothing manufacturer or some type of realtor or real um, some type of company, not real estate, but a retail brick and mortar company that wants to expand into that market. But they all know that market is decreasing. It's still a market, don't get me wrong, but they need to calculate how much resources they need to address that market. Because of course, right now, it doesn't appear they need 11,000 employees to properly support the current customer base that's demanding their service. So hopefully they get their jobs back. Other interesting business news on the downside, you have Jewel and Minnesota reaching a settlement Juul, J-U-U-L, is perhaps the most well-known e-cigarette company, also known as vaping company. When the trend first came out, they were the industry leader in terms of, they were technically the first to market. The first e-cigarette was decades ago, actually. I believe it was actually by Marlboro, but it apparently from the documentaries I've seen, it tasted bad. It's very awkward in terms of the actual packaging you'd have to recharge it in a very clumsy way. The way that Juul came out with a simple solution was just a stick that you charge at the, I believe just a basic USB cable and a little cartridge that you just throw away. The concept was much more straightforward and the flavor is much more attractive for mass consumers. And many touted the health benefits of a non-tobacco inhala inhalation product. That being said, I haven't seen a lot of long-term studies on this. There are less chemicals. There's also different chemicals in it. They both have nicotine, which is the addictive substance, but there's still a lot left unknown about that topic. Now, in terms of that settlement, the company Jewel claims that by settling, they're paying cash basically, and they're saying that they are claim, they're denying any wrongdoing, and they claim, they claim that their main objective was to encourage adult smokers to switch from traditional tobacco to a less harmful vaping product. I say, well, quote, less harmful because we don't know yet. There are certainly a lot of benefits, but there's a lot of unknowns on the long-term health effects. Now, this is coming after just months ago, they settled lawsuits in six states, which equated to $462 million, which is an astonishing amount of capital to have to put down. And they also said that, I believe in that statement or that particular lawsuit, they're not gonna advertise anyone under, I believe, 30 or 32, somewhere in the 30s, which is ridiculous because in the United States, if you're 18, you should be able to participate participate in all forms of society in terms of you're eligible to vote, you pay taxes, you can join the military, and yet there's some people say you can't buy a handgun or you can't get a cigarette now in certain states. It's it's a bizarre thing where they just need the United States needs to choose one age or the other. Either everything is adult at 18 or 21, but to have so many random laws and to pick and choose just seems to murky and cloud the situation just especially for businesses as they try to target their audience they don't know where to put resources and you might be in compliance one day but out of compliance the other now other upside in business is you have apple launching a savings account furthering their diversification of the company granted they're not doing it 100 internally 
they're partnering with someone as many companies often do when they bring on new types of services and they're launching a high yield savings account for their app and it's only for apple card customers so you have to have the card and they're launching it in coordination with their partnership with goldman sachs and they the account currently has an annual yield of 4.15 percent which isn't a lot more than the, than the average but it is 0.35 percent more than the nation average apy on savings account this coming just a mere couple weeks after they announced that they were going to have a buy here pay later program where i believe you could divide it into four different payments and it actually wouldn't affect your credit score which is very unprecedented if you look at how traditional financial arrangements work and that is also in partnership with goldman sachs so they're working with a traditional investment banking company it'd be interesting to see if this increased the number of people who want to utilize the service or maybe you'll get some new apple customers from this development it'll be interesting to see as the most profitable company in the world keeps trying to expand their diverse their offerings, how it might be able to affect the bottom line as well. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, as predicted yesterday, Bud Light continues to piss off everyone. So you have their sales decreasing to just to further show that it was not a prudent business decision to endorse Dylan Mulvaney from a Mulvaney from a fiscal perspective. Now their sales are crumbling even more and more. We have anecdotal evidence from individual bars. So there's a survey in Wyoming and also in Tennessee. So you have a Bud Light sales representative in Tennessee. He noted that he had never seen such a non-movement of Bud Light in 15 years, even in rural areas, which traditionally had a very high cyclical sales rate of Bud Light. And those types of sales reps, they go to the stores, they stock the shelves as many companies like Walmart, they don't have their employees actually stock shelves, they have third party, the people who make the product or distribute the product, they're entrusted with the proper display of the product and placement of the product so they can make sure they're representing the brands in a positive light and they're in more control of the situation. Also decreases the, the um, price on Walmart's hand as well. So imagine if you're the sales rep in Tennessee, you're going inside the store expecting to see a bare shelf and you're supposed to take the beer from the truck and put it there all of a sudden that shelf has the same amount of product as when you came the week before which has to be a very concerning concerning and scary thought for being that sales rep since there's not much that i know they can do in terms of they can't i don't believe they're supposed to stand by the beer and just tell customers to buy it it's more of a sales support role i believe but it's even more anecdotal evidence that their sales are decreasing now, we also have country musician John Rich. He removed Bud Light from his bar. It's one of the larger bars in, Tennis in Tennessee, specifically Nashville. And there's a lot of social media going all over the Twitterverse where he actually takes down the display and everyone's cheering. And just more and more people are getting behind that perspective and that support of the boycott of the product. Now, other going back to the story in Wyoming, they did a survey about 14 stores, so remember, all these always quantify the data and always look at the quantification of what is your sample size one most and who is your sample size some of the most important things you need to ask every time you hear a statistic now about 14 bars over in wyoming and they were smaller bars now they said that according to the survey more than one third of the bars experienced bud light boycotts and that does not include two bars which refused to make any comment and folks who are conservative based on their nature, which is why I always take presidential and political polls with a grain of salt is they usually don't like to 
reveal or tell people their political opinions or really just advertise who they're voting for at all. And a lot of these bars are trying to remain unbiased because as a bar or you're trying to serve the greatest amount of customers, you're not trying to bifurcate the parties. You're not trying to split the parties in any way. You're trying to, if anything, bring them together. You're trying to facilitate all their needs, have it be a fun, conducive environment. So some of these bars aren't going to say anything just because they're worried what the left might say or what the right might say. They're in a very precarious situation. And there is also the argument of folks who want a political business or they want to try to attract someone based on their politics, either left or right. So some bars might fully embrace the boycott because they know that might bring new customers to them who have that same political ideology. You're seeing this more and more in business where it used to traditionally just be politics. It's becoming more and more almost like a business marketing mechanism, many are arguing, as back in the day, a lot of businesses would advertise their religious roots and how they would support the religious communities of their affiliations. Now, that bar in particular, they said that Coors Light is increasing their sales exponentially as consumers are looking for an alternative beer that has not made any political statements. Now, if you look at Coors Light stock in the past five days, which the boycott's been going on for a couple of weeks, their stock has gone up by 5.48%. And in the past 30 days, it's up 14.17%. So it's hard to say how much of a actual difference it's having on their stock. Because if you look at the 30 days and long term of the year, it has been going up. So it's hard to say if this is accelerating that growth or if it's just helping maintain that growth. But either way, that's not going down like InBev, Anheuser-Busch, which has gone down by about $6 trillion in value since this has gone, since their partnership or their spokesman, spokesperson endorsement with Dylan Mulvaney, the trans activist on, who's famous on TikTok for having over 10 million followers, mostly kids. And their company has gone down in value between five to six billion, and of course is varying up and down every day. I've yet to see any sales increases, even on an anecdotal level, from the Bud Light situation, which is interesting. And of course, we'll see more of this developments because a lot of publicly traded businesses they have to reveal to us what their sales numbers are, and because you have that transparency with the stockholders, so every quarter they're going to release their summary, basically that just says, "Hey, here's our sales, here's our costs, here's our here's a little summary of what we've done this quarter." then we'll really be able to see what their actual decrease or maybe even increase in sales for the anecdotal evidence i would if i were gambling man i'd say they're definitely decreasing their sales and there's a delay in their data because there's like a car company you have anheuser bush who's here they brew the product they have it sold to a distributor and the distributor then sells it to the bar the bar sends it to the consumer so very similar to a car company where General Motors makes a car, GM sells it to a distributor, or they sell it to a dealership, and then they sell it to the consumer. So all these extra steps are a delay in data where the parent company, they're still wondering what is the actual bottom line being affected? We have a lot of anecdotal evidence. How much of a decrease are they gonna come down with? And it'll be fascinating to see what those real world results are when we have the big picture come out now, it's also an issue where now Bud Light, going on the other cultural point of the day, they've not pissed off the left, which I, I don't say I called it. I wasn't unique in calling that or guessing that, but we did. Now, yesterday, 
And a couple days ago, Bud Light, after they received the backlash from the conservative community who felt, and the, you know, blue collar workers who felt betrayed by this very different marketing angle that goes against their belief system, Bud Light goes, okay, there's a lot of pressure on us. Let's come out with a campaign and a statement. And I say statement in air quotes because it was the most bland, boring, bureaucratic statement I've heard a business ever make. Usually these statements are reserved for politicians, but Bud Light basically came out with a statement yesterday where the CEO, it was like he copy pasted it as if he had it in his back pocket, but they didn't address the situation of their endorsement of Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney. And it just further clouded the situation. And it was basically a cliche. We're an American brewery company. We employ all these folks and our distributors employ all of these folks. We want to bring people together, which if you did, you would stay out of politics completely. Or you would endorse your current customer base, which is the largest percentage of the folks who currently purchase your product. So they had that BS statement. And then they also had a ridiculous over-the-top patriotic commercial, uh, video commercial that they put out. And it was just as bland, uninspiring, inauthentic as that statement from the CEO. Now, because they made that statement, which did not even disregard or in any way say they will not no longer work with Dylan Mulvaney, it didn't even address that topic. However, just that bland statement was enough to piss off the left. So now folks on the left are boycotting Granted, how much do they buy? Two bottles a year? I mean, anecdotally speaking, it's not a big product for that part of the market. Perhaps that's why the VP of marketing, she was trying to address that market. That's what she claims. But now they're boycotting it. And you even have a bunch of articles coming out. So you have Time.com, Bloomberg, and they're all noting that they all have articles saying how angry everyone is on the left because Bud Light did not defend Dylan Mulvaney. So from their perspective, they thought Bud Light would step, quote unquote, step up and say, we proudly endorse this uh, trans activist. They thought Bud Light was gonna go that route. I, given the historics of businesses, I was almost a little shocked they didn't, but because they had this, just this little timid, we don't wanna get involved in politics, no one's believing that now, but now you have people who are irate on the left so you have major news outlets reporting on this and then you're having a lot of i, was, I use this term celebrity very loosely you have perhaps the pinnacle the lexicon of american thought and cognitive capabilities Whoopi goldberg she is on a show called the view and in particular she's coming out and saying bud light don't be scared of the right be scared of us because traditionally, folks from her perspective, many of them rely on violence, coercion, and bullying tactics to pull products from their shelves and to boycott companies. And there is a certain historical, there's a lot of evidence that their approach has worked in the past. And this isn't everyone on the left by any means. I'm When I say leftist, I usually mean people on the extreme left who incidentally are about the same as folks on the extreme right in terms of both very extreme dug in their positions, not really lit, willing to listen to other arguments or persuasions or debates or philosophical discussions. Now, she's saying, don't be afraid of them, be a friend of us. Which isn't all too surprising, but perhaps concerning for the safety of the truck drivers and distrib distribution drivers. So now 
Bud Light has the unprecedented talent to, they pissed off two sides. You have people on the right who are pissed, people on the left who are pissed, and people are, people in the middle who are just wondering, why do you do this to my beer? Like, it's a liquid. It's beer. Just come out with a BS commercial every year with the American flag and that horse, and people will keep buying your swill, or liquid water, whatever you want to call their beer. But this came at completely out of left field, pun somewhat intended. But a lot of the folks in the middle are wondering, why are all these companies getting political? Can't I just, can't I buy a product without endorsing a certain philosophy? Can't it just be a product? And unfortunately, more and more, you're seeing companies, quote unquote, taking sides. And there's also a lot of fiscal advantages to doing that when you have ESG scores and other scores that rate you based on your choices of your political philosophies and ideologies, where if you make one choice, you'll have more investments, you'll have a higher score. That higher score will attract banks, which will give you greater loans, greater resources. And so there's not a lot of incentive to make a statement that's in the middle or on the right currently. And I don't see any short-term initiatives, bills, or proposals to counter that if anything, you're just seeing scores similar to ESG. Those are being increasingly used for folks to judge companies, quote unquote, as opposed to just judging them on their face value, what they make, how much they make, what kind of statements they make. It's becoming much more complex. Now, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, or rather, politics. I was too excited. The blunder is amusing in and of itself. Now. Going on to the politics of the day, you have United States officials that are examining whether the document leaker for the Ukraine documents, whether he had links, and then what was his motive in all that? So you have Jack Tazarian, who is a 20-year-old member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, and he leaked the documents on an online gaming forum, or app, known as Discord, and it was a very unusual leak. He didn't go to the traditional press, which probably a prudent thing since they immediately hunted him down like a dog after they found out who he was and started digging into where he is and who he is. Very opposite, it's the antithesis of a traditional leak, like during the Trump administration when you have leaks, no one even no one even bothered to hunt them down, yet alone investigate who they are. I mean, we still don't know who leaked the Supreme Court documents that showed that the Supreme Court was about to weigh in on Roe versus Wade and overturn the abortion to make it go to the state level. And when that was leaked, we don't know who leaked it. It caused riots and even an assassination attempt on the Supreme Court justices. Yet, no one seems to care who caused that leak. So it seems to be an unequal situation. Now, the USA and Ukraine, are officials are suggesting that the leaker has ties to Russia which is kind of a cliche statement in and of itself. When you look at all, when you look at all the documents and what they revealed, it revealed a lot of concerning things, such as U.S. has armed forces in Ukraine. Ukraine is making offensive moves into Russia, and Russia is not doing as bad as we were told. And Ukraine actually buying oil from Russia. So, the statements and the leak was very much against the grain of what the mainstream and politicians were telling the United States populace. And, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not sure how many people are going to believe that this 21-year-old 20 from Massachusetts 
International Guard has ties to Russia. Again, we'll see if there's any evidence of that, but just that statement on its face value from those particular people, I don't know how much water that holds, so to say. And it'll be interesting to see how he's further prosecuted and what other evidence is brought to light. Now, we also had Elon revealing that the U.S. was spying. Not too much of a shock, but they were actually spying on everyone, which used to be illegal. Now, it was brought to light via an interview with Fox News anchor and personality Tucker, Tucker Carlson. And Elon actually let him know once he Elon took over Twitter, started to do a little digging, he found that the government was monitoring direct messages. And they had access to direct messages. Not only... Not only one or two people, as if the government actually put in paperwork and justification to search one person's direct messages, similar to, I would think, they would be, you have to have paperwork filed to specifically search someone's house, but they actually had access to all of the direct messages. So quite concerning when the government could just spy in on whatever you're sending on that particular app. It'll be interesting to see if Elon tries to shut off that ability, if it's already shut off or what other security steps he takes to try to build back trust into Twitter, which a lot of people lost a lot of faith as more of these documents are revealed. Now, you also have Democrats outfunding Republicans by $12 million in 2023 Q1. And you have specifically the House Democrat campaigning arm outraised them for about $12 million, And Dems raised $37.7 million dollars with, with nearly 17 million coming in March alone. And there's a lot, there's a fairly strong correlation between how much money you raise and how well you do in the polls and the actual results, since the more money you have, the more resources you have for going door to door, setting up posters, advertisements, what have you. It'll be interesting to see if Republicans step, step up their game or what happens, they might be sitting on their laurels, so to say, since they won the House by very, very slim, very slim. They barely won. The red wave of the midterms turned out to be more of a leak or a couple of drizzle. Very underwhelming and very disappointing. Yet the RNC chairman or chairwoman, she, of course, got reelected. So no, no negative rep, repercussion, no negative consequences for complete for near complete failure. So they projected a huge red wave during the midterms, and they barely won the House. Pathetic, to say the least. If it was a football team, you'd fire that head coach immediately. But they just re-elected her for reasons, I guess. Now, it'll be interesting to see if they stop with the game, but what happens? Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Netflix having a live stream crash. So this occurred during their second ever live stream attempt. It was supposed to be a cast reunion of the show called Love is Blind. And the show was scheduled to start streaming at 8 p.m. Eastern time and fans were stuck in the wind for about an hour. And this live streaming push from Netflix has led to a lot of investors thinking maybe they're gonna go to a sporting coverage platform and cover modern in real time activities similar to a news reporting outlet. And it'll be interesting to see if that's actually a long-term profitable idea for the company. But even if it, since it did fail, it crashed. But I commend Netflix. They need to keep trying new things because the traditional streaming platform, they won in the beginning because they basically had no competition. Netflix won the rental wars with Blockbuster because Netflix took a huge risk starting the company 
they're on the bleeding edge of technology. They invested in DVD rentals when no one else would because DVDs were expensive and no one had a DVD player. So they set up all these programs where they actually could have, when you bought a DVD player, it actually come with three to four free Netflix rentals. And they worked directly with the manufacturer winning a big contract with Panasonic in particular, or Toshiba, one of the two. But because they took that big risk, they won the DVD rental. And then Netflix went above and beyond. They invested in streaming. And of course, they admit in the initial, when that was the first streaming platform, they knocked it out of the park for years. But now you almost have a streaming, you de- no, no, you don't almost, you do have a streaming saturation with the market. There are more streaming platforms that one can count. You have Disney Plus, which is huge. You have Netflix, of course. You also have Hulu, which Disney might buy since they have, I believe, 66% or two-thirds percent ownership in the company. But you also have HBO Go or HBO Max, which they relabeled Max for some reason. Then you also have NBC's Peacock, which is really only known because they have intellectual property of The Office, which is a big hit. But there are countless of these streaming platforms. So you have consumers that are, they have fatigue, where there's just too many choices. And you see this in a lot of retail examples. If you give someone maybe six to 12 choices, they'll make a pretty prudent, pretty quick decision. But if you give them more than that, the amount of time it takes them to reach a decision increases exponentially. And they also sometimes don't even make a decision. So Netflix needs to do something to keep moving the ball forward to keep differentiating them from the competition. So long-term, I think it will be a good fruitful business idea, but to have all the eyes on you, all the investors looking, and this is only your second attempt and to have that crash, that's certainly the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Cannot thank you enough for you putting the suggestions in the comments to make the show better. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment again. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, stay safe, fight the good fight.